today I will be um, bringing the word today, and I do thank God for this privilege to stand before you all and uh, and preach his word and pray that I do it faithfully. What I will be talking about today is simply the courage to stand for the gospel. You know, in, in these days, there are so many causes that you can stand for. So many things that people take a stand for, put the stake in the ground for. But are we standing for the gospel? Do we have the courage to stand for the gospel? All of us need to be encouraged from time to time to stand for the gospel in which we believe. We need to be reminded to stand firm, to endure suffering, despite the difficulty that we may face. It's easy for us to serve whenever things are going our way or things are easy. But what about when times get tough? What are you going to do? And the text that I'm going to uh, read from today is Second Timothy uh, chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. And Timothy was facing tough times and needed to be encouraged to press on for the gospel. And that is what we will talk about today, the courage to stand for the gospel. Before we read, um, let's pray. <clears throat> Father, I thank you for this privilege to preach your word, God. And I just pray that as I go through the text here, Lord, that you would open up the hearts of those who are here today to hear your word. Lord, I pray that uh, it would be edifying. I pray that what I speak about today would come across clear, Lord, and that we would all be encouraged through the power of your word. God, this is not about me. I pray that you get me out of the way, and I pray that the Holy Spirit, Lord, would take over and just speak through your word, Lord. And I, it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. So 2 Timothy, starting in verse 1, we'll read through verse 14. It says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of life in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve with a clear conscience the way my forefathers did, as I constantly remember you in my prayers night and day, longing to see you even as I recall your tears so that I may be filled with joy. For I am mindful of the sincere faith within you which first dwelt in your grandmother, Lois, and your mother, Eunice. And I am sure that it is in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to kindle afresh the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and discipline. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me, his prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was 
granted us in Christ Jesus from all eternity, but now has been revealed by the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher. For this reason, I also suffer these things, but I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. Retain the standard of sound words which you have heard from me in the faith and and love which are in Christ Jesus. Guard through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us the treasure which has been entrusted to you. May the Lord have blessing to the reading of his word. So what we see here, uh, Paul opened the letter in the standard way that he typically does. Uh, author, recipient, greeting. He states here that he is an, an apostle of Christ in accordance with God's will for the purpose of proclaiming the gospel, which he calls the promise of life in Christ Jesus. So, of course, Paul, he is the author here, the recipient uh, is Timothy, as we see in verse two, and then he opens up with the greeting, grace and uh, grace, mercy and peace from God the Father. Uh, there is a difference in tone from First Timothy to now Second Timothy. Uh, in First Timothy, the salutation sets more of an authoritative tone which carries throughout the epistle. There it is stated that Paul's apostleship is a result of the command of God. Here uh, in 2 Timothy, Paul states that his ministry is in accordance with God's will and not his own. So, you know, no doubt Paul was looking back at the Damascus Road experience and who he was um, before he came to Christ. Paul's view of his apostleship was that it was purely God's will for him. And not only that, but also that God was the authority behind what Paul did. And God's sovereign purpose for Paul was to proclaim the gospel, the promise of life in Christ Jesus. Now, while Paul does not lack the same authority that was exhibited in 1 Timothy, we begin to see that this letter takes on a more personal tone. Uh, some say that the tone is more of a somber tone than in 1 Timothy. In verse 2, Paul calls Timothy his beloved son. And from this, we can see that it is it is more personal. This letter is more personal and more intimate. Um, in 1 Timothy, Paul referred to uh, to Timothy as his true child in the faith. Uh, 1 Timothy 1, 2 says, meaning that Paul recognized and knew that Timothy was a genuine believer. Here in uh, in uh, book 2, chapter 2, um, <clears throat> or uh, verse 2, we see that he addresses him as not as a child in the faith, but as his beloved son, again, reinforcing the genuine love and affection that Paul has for Timothy. The word beloved, it's, it's, uh, agapetos in the Greek. It is the same word that God used when he spoke out of the heavens after Jesus 
was baptized and the spirit descended upon him. Matthew 3.17 says, and behold, a voice out of the heaven said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Now, of course, that is a perfect love. The love that God the Father has for God the Son and the love that the Son has for the Father is a perfect love that cannot be attained between uh, human beings. And why? Because of the stain of sin. Uh, however, this is just an example to illustrate the love and friendship that Paul and, and Timothy shared. Um, you know, and then just another note, too, just on, on the love that, you know, the love that we are supposed to have for one another, the love that we are commanded to have, even though it is not a perfect love, because we are stained by sin, we still have no excuse. We can never say that because we are sinful beings, we're not going to love like the Lord has commanded us to love. Scripture is littered with, uh, you, you know, with illustrations and commands for us to love one another. So let's remember that. But again, this is is just a uh, an illustration to show what the 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 relationship between Paul and Timothy was and how Paul felt for him. Um in verses 3 through 5, this begins the theme of encouragement. Uh he says in verse 3, he says, "I thank God whom I serve with a clear conscience." the way my forefathers did, as I constantly remember you in my prayers night and day. And, you know, with him saying that he has a clear conscience, this is something, this is familiar language of the Apostle Paul. This is not anything new that he's using here. In Acts 23.1, when he went before the council and the chief priest, he said uh, that he had lived his life with a perfectly good conscience before God. And in Acts 24, 16, he said that he did his best to maintain a blameless conscience before God and men. And now, even in 1 Timothy 5, we see, uh, 1 Timothy uh, 1, 5, we see the same thing where Paul says, but the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. So him speaking of the good conscience, this is language that is common to Paul, but we should take note of it and make sure that we serve God and seek to serve God in the same manner with a clear conscience. How do we do that? The same way that Paul did by obeying God and doing his will. It's not that hard. You know, if we want to have a clear conscience, we have to serve God faithfully. We have to do his will. We can't play games with uh, with the will of God and obeying him. Um, he goes on to say the, the way that my forefathers did. So what Paul is noting here, and we'll see uh, a couple of verses later, is uh, he's noting here that he had a heritage of faith. But this is also a connecting point for a later verse uh, verse five, and we'll come back to that shortly. Um, and then he goes on to say, as I constantly remember you in my prayers night and day, Timothy was frequently in Paul's prayers. And though they had been separated for some time, Paul's prayers for Timothy, no doubt gave him strength, the strength and encouragement needed to endure 
hardships of faith, of the faith and in his ministry. We should also take note of this and be careful to pray for our brethren in the faith. Our prayers for each other should never be limited as we do. We take prayer requests at the end of the service, but our prayer should never be limited to just Sunday after the service. We should be praying for each other throughout the week, praying for the encouragement of each other. Our prayers should be continual for one another. First uh, Thessalonians 5, uh, 17 gives the command, in fact, to pray without ceasing, meaning that we should always have a mind that is set on prayer and not just prayer for ourselves, but for our brethren in Christ also, both here and abroad. We should be praying for our brethren in, in, in Christ, praying for their encouragement, pray that they be built up in Christ. If they are suffering, go to God on their behalf. There is no shortage of things that we have to pray about. So when you see and hear that command, pray without ceasing, don't get scared of that command and say, how am I supposed to do that? Now, it does not mean that every word that comes out of your mouth has to be a prayer and that every thought that is in your head is going to constantly be a prayer. But have your mind set on prayer. There is no shortage of things to pray about and building what building each other up and then building ourselves up, getting to learn more about Christ. Um so that's something that we need to note there. Verse four, uh, it says here, longing to see you, even as I recall your tears so that I may be filled with joy. This is likely looking back at the last time that they saw each other before they parted ways and the sadness that that was experienced, uh, the sadness that Timothy experienced moved him to tears. But we see here that there is also anticipation of being able to see each other again and experiencing the joy of being reunited. Turn with me to Second Timothy chapter four, uh, verses nine through 13. We'll read. <clears throat> and we'll see here just the anticipation that Paul had that Timothy was going to be able to see him again. He says, make every effort to come to me soon for Demas, having loved this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Pick up Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful to me for service. But Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak which I left at Troas with Carpus and the books, especially the parchment. So we see here uh, that that Paul anticipated that Timothy was that was going to see him again, that they were going to be reunited, and he looked forward to the joy of 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 their um, reunion. Now we don't know. Scripture doesn't tell us if they actually got to see each other. That's something we don't know, but. We know that Paul was at the end of his life. If you read through um, this this uh, entire book, you'll see that Paul was waiting, as he said, to be poured out as a drink offering. He knew that he was going to be dying soon. So there was urgency for Timothy to come and see him, but also the anticipation. Um, back to chapter 1, uh, verse 5. 
It says, for I am mindful of the sincere faith within you, which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am sure that it is in you as well. So Paul, as he did in 1 Timothy, he notes the sincere faith of Timothy, but he also notes Timothy's heritage of faith, just like Paul noted his own heritage of faith back in verse 3. Um, so Paul, again, he, he is affirming that Timothy is a believer, but he is also drawing out the personal connection between the two of them by pointing to the similarities in their lives. Uh, <coughs> Paul mentioned Timothy's mother and grandmother. Now, let me tell you, any time you mention somebody's mother, it's getting personal. So if you say something about somebody's mother, the next words that you say, I choose those words carefully. All right. <laughs> For us at all, you know, growing up, all it took was somebody to say your mother and then you're going to blows. <laughs> no, this is just Paul. Again, he, he is he has that that personal tone. This is reinforcing that personal tone of the letter that is being uh, written to uh, to Timothy. Now, in verse six, he says, for this reason, I remind you to kindle afresh the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. He's saying, because I know that 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 you are a true child in the faith and that you are sincere about your walk with God, I am reminding you to rekindle the flame, or as the ESV says, it says, fan in to flame the gift of God, which is in you. So now how does Paul know that Timothy has a gift? Well, for one, it's biblical. Uh, each person who has the Holy Spirit of God within them, who has been transformed by the power of the gospel, uh, you know, this, this only happens through repentance and faith in Christ, but each person who has the Holy Spirit within them has at least one gift. Turn with me to 1 Peter uh, chapter 4, verses 10 and 11. <clears throat> Starting in verse 10, he says, as each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies, so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory, dominion, forever and ever. So we see from this that every person, again, who belongs to, uh, to Christ has at least one spiritual gift. Turn back to uh, 2 Timothy. <clears throat> and I'm going to tell you, if I'm, if I'm turning faster than any of you are today, that's bad because I'm only one-handed. So. <laughs> so keeping with the theme of being a, a personal letter, Paul says, that the gift that is in Timothy is through the laying on of his hands. Now, look, listen, there is much that could be said about this. But for today, for today, let's suffice it to say that this is a reference to Timothy's ordination of which Paul was a part. 
1 Timothy 4.14 reads, it says, Do not neglect the spiritual gift within you, which was bestowed on you through prophetic utterance with the laying on of hands by the presbytery. This is when Timothy was ordained. Paul is saying that he was a part of that. Now, that verse there too, 1 Timothy 4.14, also speaks to the importance of the plurality of elders as well. You know, there are no lone soldiers in this. This shows how important it is to have a plurality, uh, plurality of, 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 uh, elders and not just one person who is serving as pastor and as elder and has that, 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 that mindset that, listen, this is my pulpit. This is my church. I am the elder. I am the pastor. I'm not sharing this with anyone. No, it's biblical to have that plurality of elders so that you can, uh, you, you, you can see the gifts that are in the congregation and make sure that you are pushing those who are in the church to use their gifts, uh, within the Lord. It, it, you know, we have to look after each other. It's a responsibility. It's not something that, you know, it, that you just get put out front for, for show as so many people do. And it's, it's bad. It's bad. But anyway, getting off topic there. Let's get back. <laughs> um, the gift. So the, the specific gift here in, uh, in verse six, the specific gift that Timothy was given is not mentioned here. Uh, now chapter four, verse five speaks about the work as an evangelist, but based on what is here in verse six, we don't know if that is it. Uh, the, the, the Greek word for gift here is charisma. And it is the same word that is used in first Corinthians 12 to enumerate the gifts. But, uh, since Timothy's gift is not mentioned here, we don't know even if his gift is on that list. So, um, and again, you, you know, the, the, the gifts that are mentioned here in scripture that are contained in scripture, it is not a full exhaustive list of the gifts that God gives to his, his children. So we don't know what it is that, uh, that, that Timothy um, the gift that Timothy was given here at this time. But uh, regardless, Paul and Timothy both know what the gift is, and Paul is telling Timothy to keep it ablaze. It is not that the fire went out on his gift, but possibly that he was not using it to the full force or capacity that, uh, you know, or, 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 or with the full strength that God had given him within that gift. So Paul is saying, listen, turn it up, turn it up, keep it ablaze. Don't let that fire go out. And this is the same type of encouragement that we have to give to each other whenever we see someone who is not using their gift to its full capacity. We know that they are gifted. They have started working in some area and that that flame may start to go out. Not that it has burnt out, but they're not using that gift. So we have to spur each each other along and say, use that gift. Keep it ablaze. Don't let this thing go to waste. It's not yours to sit on. God gave it to you for a purpose. 
uh, verse seven, he says, for God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and discipline. Now, there is also the translation, which I like better. It says for uh, for God has not given us the the spirit of fear. But the the original translation of this word fear or timidity, it came from an extra biblical resource that is strong, a strong word that is used for cowardice. And it has the connotations of someone who flees from battle. And this is not the spirit that comes from God. This spirit is one uh, because, you know, this this. This spirit that comes from God is one that is one of power and that is one of love and one of a sound mind. One of fear does not come from God. We know our God is strong and mighty and in battle. There is not one battle that he has lost, nor is there one that he will lose. And God raises up righteous men and prepares them for battle. Proverbs 28, 1 says the wicked flee when no one is pursuing them, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. So if there was any timidity within any timidity or fear within Timothy, this did not come from God. And the ESV renders the translation where God gave us a spirit not of fear. So uh, from, from what I have read, it does seem as though Timothy did have an issue with being uh with being timid but it does not seem like it carries out to the to the degree of the translation of the word dahlia uh which is again a strong word uh describing cowardice it's possible that paul used this word to carry the description of timidity to its most negative degree in order to illustrate a point Whenever we see the word fear and timidity here, I don't think that we need to jump straight to the conclusion that Timothy was an outright coward fleeing from battles uh, that, that were coming his way. That seems to be contrary to even who the Apostle Paul knew him to be. And I think the tone would have been much stronger in this letter. It wouldn't have been as personal if he was fleeing away from battles, if he was not fighting for the cause of the gospel, if he was not standing firm at all, Paul would have been much stronger in his letter to Timothy. But Paul could have been uh, encouraging Timothy to put his gift into uh, into uh, uh, full use without the hint of any fear. How was he to do that? Through the power and love and discipline given him from the Spirit of God. That's how he was to do it. Because God has given him the Spirit of power and love and discipline, self-control, sound mind. Those are some of the other translations that that um, are given for this verse. But remember, though, even though this letter does not have that same authoritative tone as First Timothy, there is still authority behind Paul's words and instruction, and it is God's authority exerted through Paul. Yet, 
even in all of this, through all of his instruction and admonition, he does not leave Timothy hanging while he is encouraging him. He's just not, it's just not top down saying, you need to do this, you need to do that. You know, he, he is not leaving him hanging. His words would have given Timothy assurance that he was right there with him. Starting in verse 7 and up to verse 14, we see the references of us and are and uh starting in in verse seven it says god has not given us a spirit of fear um and down into verse eight he says the testimony of our lord uh he says in verse nine the god who the power of god who has saved us and called us not according to our works but according to his own purpose and grace granted us. He says, our Savior, Christ Jesus. And then in verse 14, he's talking about the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. So he, his words would have been giving Timothy some assurance, some encouragement, uh, and, and he would be spurring Timothy on saying, man, listen, I am in here uh, with you. I'm not just giving you this instruction to beat you down. No, man, I am here with you. And this is, again, something that we should note. Whenever we are admonishing someone, let them know that we are right there with them. We are not just giving you that instruction and sending you off on your own and saying, get it together. There may be those times that it is more forceful and say, man, listen, listen, pull yourself up by the bootstraps, get it together, stand firm. You know, there may be those times, but listen, even in that, it's like, listen, I, I am here. I'm, I'm here with you. Let's remember that whenever we are admonishing uh, each other. So verses 8 through 10, this is uh, a, a summary of the gospel. Now, starting in verse 8, he says, therefore... So based on all of these things that I have said up to this point, since since God has given us such power, such love, such discipline, such priority of mind, having all of this, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me being in prison because of the gospel. That's what it reads. Don't, don't, don't be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me, his prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God. And when he said uh, not to be ashamed of him who is in prison, this is because, you know, this is because Paul, of course, was locked up in chains. He was in prison, but he considered himself to be the Lord's prisoner. Why can he have that view that he is the Lord's prisoner? Because he was proclaiming, he was busy proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. He would not compromise. He would not back down on that. And he went to jail for it. So he is considering that even being locked up in jail, that he is God's prisoner. He is there because of the sovereignty of God. He obeyed God. This is where it ended up. But guess what? He says later on that the word of God is not chain. So even though he is there in prison, the gospel was still going to go forth. And he's telling Timothy, listen, don't be ashamed of this. Don't be ashamed of me, but join me or accept your share of suffering for the sake of the gospel. And this through the power of 
God. Romans 1.16, Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Do not be ashamed. Persecution of Christians was prevalent at this time. Let's understand that. Emperor Nero had set fire to Rome and blamed it on the Christians. As a result, Christians were being persecuted in the form of social ostracism, public torture, and even murder. So Timothy, because of what was happening, may have exhibited some fear, some discouragement, and needed that encouragement, that admonishment, or even that exhortation, the urgent warning to press on and be willing to suffer for the gospel of Jesus Christ, no matter what it's going to cost you. And Timothy, even we see in Hebrews 13 that Timothy did, in fact, go to jail. It talks about Timothy being released in Hebrews 13. So, listen, no matter, he, Paul is telling him, no matter what it's going to cost you, don't be ashamed of this gospel. And again, Paul is giving a, a brief explanation of what this gospel is. Let's take a look at verses 9 and 10. <clears throat> It says, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was granted us in Christ Jesus from all eternity. God saved us by calling us with a holy calling, that holy calling, setting us apart, sanctifying us, not based on anything that we have done, but according to his purpose. That is what he is telling Timothy. That is the same thing for us today. Our salvation is not of our own works. It's not by anything that we have done, but Christ and Christ alone. There is not a thing that we could have done to earn salvation, nor to keep it. It is all in and through Christ, and it was decided in the ancient days of eternity. Now, now, what does this mean? What does this mean? Let's take a look at Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. <clears throat> Ephesians 1, 3 and 4 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. This is before the foundation of the world that God chose us. Let's look at First Peter. Turn back to First Peter chapter 1. <clears throat> And if you are in the the, uh, the Bible study that I lead on on uh, Wednesday nights, we talked about this at length. Uh, so this is going to be nothing new to those of you who are in the Bible study. But listen, this is Im important. We talked about the importance of it even while we were going through this in the study. But verses 1 and 2, it says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who reside as aliens scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who are chosen according to what? The 
foreknowledge of God the Father by the sanctifying work of the Spirit to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with his blood. May grace and peace be yours in the fullest measure. And then if we go down to verse 20, still in the same chapter 1 of First Peter, go down to verse 20. And read, let's read verses 20 and 21. It says, For he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but has appeared in these last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. The plan of Christ was known before the foundation of the world. God saved us and called us according to his own purpose and grace granted in who? Christ Jesus. When? Before the foundation of the world. Does this not encourage you? Does this not give you hope? This plan, this mystery has now been revealed in Christ by his appearing. Though Paul refers to Christ's second coming multiple times in Scripture, what he is uh, what he is talking about here in verse ten, the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, he is talking about the uh, the the incarnation, the of uh, Christ in the flesh. That's what he's talking about here. But he does, like for example, in Second Timothy four one and and uh, verse eight. He talks about, this is a reference to the second coming, second coming of Christ. And we'll see even a little further down here when he talks about that day. But that's not what uh, Paul is referring to here in verse 10. He is talking about the incarnation, the first appearing of Christ Jesus, our Lord, when he abolished death, effectively rendering it useless. Because yes, we still do die. We are in this flesh. We still die, but death is rendered useless to us as believers because we have eternal life in Jesus Christ. The moment that we place our faith in him, that eternal life begins. And when we close our eyes, we will be with him in eternity forever, living with him without any sin. But see, that abolishing of death, rendering it useless, this is because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and because the life and immortality. Now, it has been brought through, brought to light through this resurrection of Jesus Christ. You know, that here in verse 10, it says, but has, but now has been revealed by the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. This is when God decided to make it known about immortality fully. They knew in Old Testament times, but they did not know fully. In Christ, it was made fully manifest. And this we see here in verse 10. Now, I have a question I have to ask you at this point before we go any further. Have you trusted in Christ as your Savior? Only you know that. Or are you still trusting in things or trusting in something else or trusting your good works 
to get you into heaven, to earn a relationship with the Savior, with God. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Have you trusted in Christ? Have you trusted in the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sin? If you have trusted in Christ, are you ready to suffer? Have you purposed in your mind that you are going to suffer for the sake of the gospel? See, there's so much garbage that is going on these days, so much prosperity preaching that is telling you that if you come to Christ, that all of your problems will go away, that everything will be good. Your marriage will be repaired. You'll have the best job. You'll be, you'll be the man. You'll be the woman. If you come, if you come to God. But listen, it is not so. And there is so much false teaching going on out there and people are soaking it up. I saw something disgusting this week from someone who was preaching and I'll keep it PG for you, but if any of you, I don't know if you know of who Michael Todd is. If you don't, great. Don't look him up. He's a false teacher. But this guy is a prosperity preacher, and we know how Jesus healed the blind man. He spit in, in, and put the spit on his eyes, and this man proceeds to do the same thing to someone on stage in front of a huge church and an even wider audience that was tuning in. Disgusting. I don't even want to tell you the details of how he did it. But see, these are the things that people are falling for these days. He related that to prosperity, to some car, you know, or something like that. Being able to see the vision of a new car or something like that. Listen, don't. Don't listen to those things. Stay away from those people. Now, I know y'all are going to go look and see who Michael Todd is and what he did, but hey. <laughs> but listen, if, if if you have trusted in Christ, are you ready to suffer for him? The more you stand for Christ and obey his will for your life, the more you will suffer and be persecuted. Verse uh, uh, chapter 3, verse 12 says, Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And now, this is this is not... Hopeless, though. Paul said that he was appointed as a preacher, apostle, and teacher of the gospel. In in uh, verse 12 here, he says, For this reason, I also suffer these things, but I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed and am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. So, listen, Paul, in, in, in verse 11, talking about being a appointed as a preacher, apostle, and teacher. He says, listen, he's not, he's not ashamed to suffer, uh, to suffer these things. We see that, that Paul had confidence. He had hope. He was convinced that what he had entrusted to God would be guarded until that day. That day when he stands before the throne of God. Uh, turn to chapter four, verses 16 through 18. starting in verse 16 it says at my first defense no one supported me but all deserted me may it not be counted against them 
But the Lord stood with me and strengthened me so that through the proclamation that that sorry, that through the proclamation might be fully accomplished and all the Gentiles might hear. And I was rescued out of the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. See, Paul had confidence here. And we see it that no matter what happened with him, he was going to see God. And now there is a difference in some, depending on the translation that you have. One, mine says entrusted, uh, entrusted to him. Um, <clears throat> and others say, uh, entrusted to me. So the, the translation of this phrase simply means my deposit or my entrustment. So some say this could mean Paul entrusted God to guard his life. Uh, you know, he entrusted him or that he, God entrusted, uh, or that he entrusted God to guard the gospel, which had been entrusted to him by God. Though he was persecuted and imprisoned and would eventually die, the gospel would go on. The word of God, again, is not imprisoned, as chapter 2, 9 says. Uh, verse 13. <clears throat> verse 13 says, Retain the standard of words which you have heard from me in the faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. See, this is important because later on, Paul says that the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. So what he's saying here and some of your translations may read, it's saying, so hold to the pattern of sound doctrine that you have heard from me in faith and love, which are in Christ Jesus, the faith to hear it and believe the love to teach it patiently. Um, which are, which are in Christ Jesus. So, verse 14, what does he say? He says, guard through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us the treasure which has been entrusted to you. This treasure is the gospel of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Guard it. Guard it. So as it was with Timothy, so it is with you guard the treasure which has been entrusted to you. This great gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, which has saved you from the wrath of God, which has set you apart through his holy calling to live a life according to his purpose. Listen, you are no longer your own. You have been bought with a price and that price is the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ on Calvary for your sin. He took on your shame as he hung from that cross. Don't you dare be ashamed of him. Proclaim his gospel both in season and out of season, whether people want to hear it or not. Add gasoline to the fire of the gift that may be dimly burning right now. Set it ablaze, rekindle that fire. Do not be afraid to suffer persecution for this glorious gospel that has brought us out of darkness into the glorious light of our King Jesus who is reigning on the throne as his enemies are being made his footstool. 
be as bold as a lion and fight the good fight of faith that the Lord has set before you. Do not fear man who may be able to kill you. You may have to suffer up to the point of death, but do not fear them. That is the enemy's only threat to us, that they can kill us, but they cannot harm our soul. Do not fear men. Jesus Christ, he has conquered death, so there is no reason for you to fear. So even if you suffer to this point of death, death has no claim on you. There is no sting. You are immediately in the presence of God who cares and loves perfectly your eternal soul. Fear him, the one who can destroy both body and soul in hell. If you should suffer, if you should suffer, no matter to what degree it is, we don't know what you are going to suffer, but the promise of the word is that you will. We read it. If you desire to live a godly life, you will be persecuted. But if you should suffer, what should your response be? Rejoice, rejoice that you are counted worthy to suffer as our Savior did. And I'll take you to the words of our master teacher, Jesus Christ, in Matthew 5, verses 10 through 12. It says this, it says, Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad for your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. May you stand. May you be encouraged to suffer for the gospel of Jesus Christ.